I don't know about you, but I love stories, okay? I love telling stories. I love listening to stories. I love going out with friends and catching up on their news. Just this morning, I was chatting to a friend of mine, and I said, oh, we've got to get together because he had two or three stories to tell, and we, just, we knew we didn't have time to tell all these stories. We're like, man, I've got to catch up and, and hear these stories because stories are just great, aren't they? We're at dinner parties, hanging out with friends, just sharing different things that have been going on. And you know, if you're a parent here this morning, maybe stories are part of your parenting strategy. Maybe you're uh, one of those parents who's like, hey, you know, these stories could help. I wonder if you've ever done this as a parent, or I wonder if growing up, your parents ever told you this story. As you were sat at the dinner table, you were kind of rocking back on those, those two back chairs, and your parents said, hey, let me tell you a story about a boy I know who did that, and he fell back and broke his neck. Anyone heard that story? Anyone remember that story? I, I'm a bit confused by that story because I've never yet met anyone uh, in a wheelchair because of some horrible dinner table accident. Um, and yet I've met lots of people who knew of that boy. So somewhere, <laughs> he is out there somewhere because lots of people knew of him and they've told that story to their kids. How about this? I, uh, I came across a website this week, and uh, the, the whole list on this website was people submitting stories that their parents had told them growing up, stories that their parents had used to help um, corral them, to discipline them. This is one of the ones on that website. When we went to the store, my mum used to tell me, every time you touch something, a kitten dies. <laughs> hey, what a great story. I would be terrified. I happen to like cats, okay? I'd be terrified that I just bumped against something accidentally and whoosh, one less kitten. I like this one. My dad's told me that people only get 10,000 words per month. If you reach the limit, you can't physically speak until the new month begins. Anytime I was especially talkative, dad would lean over and say, careful, you're at about 9,000 right now. This one wasn't on the website. This is one that I heard on a radio station once, and it's become one of my favorite stories of parents telling stories. So it was of this couple, and the lady herself called in. She called into the DJ, and she said, let me tell you the story that my parents told me. She said, my husband and I, we'd just got married. We were newly married, and one of the things we were doing as a newly married couple was uh, combining our insurance policy. So we both had our own cars, and they were both had their own insurance. So we met with an insurance agent to get everything wrapped up together, two cars, one policy. We can both drive. And uh, as we're sitting there talking, you know, the, the price was a little higher than we were expecting, so we were kind of trying to figure out how we could lower the payments, maybe raise the deductible, that kind of thing. And, and I had the idea. I said, could we, could we get one of those limited policies? And the agent said, what, what are you talking about? And she said, my husband kind of looked at me as if to say, what are you talking about? She said, you know, the limited policies. I had one growing up. My parents had one for me. On, um, growing up, my policy would only allow me to drive on Tuesdays and Thursdays and never after 9 o'clock. <laughs> And she said, I was sat there in the insurance station, and as the words came out of my mouth and I saw them look at me, I suddenly realized, that's not true. <laughs> my parents lied to me. For 16 through 18, I only got to drive the car twice a week and never after 9 o'clock. So maybe as a parent this morning, you've used a story. Maybe you're here this morning thinking, wait, I think that was a story that they told me. But you know, the genius... The genius of Jesus is that he knew the power of stories. He knew how powerful stories could be. And he didn't tell stories to trick people. No, he told stories to teach people. 
He told these stories that we call parables. And uh, these parables, many of them are scattered throughout four letters in the New Testament from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of these guys, they gave an account of the life of Jesus. And in them, they told many of the stories that Jesus himself told, these parables. And in this series, we're talking about why this was such genius for Jesus to use these stories. Because if you weren't here last week, you won't have known what we said whoa, about our, um, our three objects here on the stage. So parables, they're kind of like these three items on the stage. So a parable, a story, it's almost like a picture. It draws you in. You may not know exactly what it's about, but it's a good story, and, and you like the idea behind the story. And as you listen to that story, like a painting that you stop to kind of examine it, it draws you in. It catches your attention. But the genius of Jesus was that as they started to, to dwell upon the stories that Jesus was telling, suddenly people started to realize that it was actually less like a painting and more like a mirror. Because in some of these stories that Jesus told, they started to see themselves reflected back in the story. They started to realize that they were like the son who'd run away. Or that they were like the, the neighbor, or that they were like the, the character in the story. Maybe they were like the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. But, but they started to realize that these were more than just pictures. These were, these were mirrors. Mirrors designed to reflect back something about me in this story. And then the genius, the true genius of Jesus, is that it's actually even more than just a mirror. Actually, parables, the stories that Jesus told, at their deepest level are kind of like windows. They're like windows that as we peer through them, as we peer through these stories or these parables that Jesus told, as we peer through them, through the window, we start to see God himself. That as we stare into these stories, as we start to look and stare deeply into the story that Jesus told, we realize that actually it's less like a picture, less like a mirror, and actually more like a window that's given us a, a, a way to look through and see the very nature of God himself. And this morning, we're going to look at another parable, another story that Jesus told that's going to do just that. It's going to be like a window this morning that we're going to peer through together, and we're going to see God in this story. Jesus told this parable, it was about three servants, the parable of the three servants. Now, some of you may be more familiar with um, a, a common name used for this parable, and that is the parable of the talents. And we'll get to why it's called the parable of the talents here in just a minute. But let me set up this story for you. So I want you to imagine with me this morning that you are a, kind of maybe a mid-level um, executive or manager in a company. It could be a, um, a, any company, Fortune 500 company. Maybe if for you it's easy to relate to a one that sells big yellow machines right here in our own backyard. But, um, but whatever it is, you kind of work for this company. And one day you're, you're sitting at your desk and the phone rings and you uh, get this message that your boss wants to see you. So you kind of, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be right over. And uh, they're actually, no, 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 not your boss, not your direct boss, the boss downtown in the big office, on the top floor in the corner, the boss wants to see you. And you're like, uh-oh, this may not be good. So, so off you go. You get in the elevator. You ride up to the top floor because that's where the boss is. You come out to this big reception, and the receptionist there, she says, yeah, he's expecting you to take a seat. And you're like, kind of worried now, like, why me? Why does he want to see me? And, and the door opens, and in you go, and you're sat face-to-face -face at the desk of the CEO of this large organization. He says, hey, I'm so glad you came to see me because I have a job just for you. I've heard about you. I've heard about the great things you do. And uh, I've actually got to go on this trip. I've got to go away for a bit. And I need someone to manage my personal finances. I need somebody to take my personal finances and just oversee them for me. And I've heard great things about you. So that's what I want you to do. 
You are going to be in charge while I'm gone. When you leave this room, when you get back to your desk, your boss knows all about it. There'll be an envelope on your desk. When you open it, there'll be a check for a very large sum of money made out to cash. I want you to cash that check. And then while I'm gone, I want you to look after my finances. And then I'll be back soon to see how you did. Thanks very much. Off you go. Now, how do you feel at that moment? Okay, as you leave his office, maybe you're like pretty confident. Maybe you're like, finally, finally they've noticed. It's about time they gave me some important job here. You know, I'll, I'll do that happily. Maybe there's a couple of you like that this morning. Maybe most of you are like terrified. You're like, what on earth? I'm out of here. You take the elevator down, you get in your car, and you just drive. That's the last they ever see of you. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're wondering why did he pick you. But, but whatever the questions are you're asking yourself, these would have been some of the questions the disciples were asking themselves as Jesus told the story that we're about to read. These would have been the questions going through the minds of the disciples on that hillside on the Mount of Olives as Jesus was gathered telling this, this story, this parable of the three, ta- the three servants or the parable of the talents to the disciples that day. So what we're going to do here is we're actually going to read the whole story. It's quite a big chunk, so you can follow along on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 25, and you can follow. But I want to read the story in its entirety, because I want you to hear it the way the disciples heard it. And don't forget, we mentioned this last week, maybe as I'm reading, some of you will think, oh, I know this story. But the genius of Jesus is that even if you know this story, I've got a feeling that some of you will leave this morning seeing something in this story that you hadn't seen before. Because it's more than just a picture. It's more than just a mirror. It's it's like a window that that we can see God in. And, And sometimes we see more of God than we have before. So let's read this story together. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he then left on the trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver, he began to invest the money, and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver, he also went to work, and he earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag, he dug a hole in the ground, and he hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used the money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, he came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who'd received the two bags of silver, he came forward and he said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And the servant with one bag of silver, he came and he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servants. 
If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you put your deposit, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least then I could have got some interest on it. And then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus tells this story, this parable to the disciples. And like with all parables, there's, there's more to this story than meets the eye. There's a, there's a hidden truth here that Jesus wants these disciples to understand. Now, we get a little bit of a clue as to what this truth is, because um, if you read the rest of Matthew chapter 25 and even chapter 24 beforehand, you'll see that this, this story that Jesus told is in the context of several other parables and stories. Jesus is kind of teaching on a theme here. That theme is that one day God will return. One day, God is coming back. He's going to right all the wrongs, fix all the brokenness. And Jesus is telling them in this parable and in another one just before, in very plain teaching, he's saying, listen, the master is returning. My father will return. And at that point, an account will be taken. And you have some responsibilities in the meantime. In fact, he's saying when God does bring an end to all of this, that in that time, it'll be determined who were his true followers and who were just the phonies. And in this particular story, that's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to help his disciples distinguish one from the other. So we know that this story that Jesus has told has a few key players, okay? It's got the master. This is the man who's going on the trip. And then there are the servants. There are these three servants who are left behind to carry out the duties for him. So we're going to look in a little bit more detail at these three servants. We're going to see what we can learn from them. But I don't want you to take your eye off of the master. You see, the master is a very important figure in this story. We're going to discover that we get to know a lot about this man and the way he behaves. And actually, it's going to give us a little bit of a window into the nature and the heart of Father God himself. So, let's start out with this question. What kind of money are we talking about here? I mean, how much? Bags of silver, this, this other translation calls them talents. What, what, what are we talking about here? You know, what, what are they, what's, what's this master leaving these people with? Well, in one translation, it calls them talents. It says one gets five talents, one gets two talents, one gets one talent. And uh, um, archaeologists and biblical scholars, they reckon, you know, based on historical data, that a talent today would be worth about a million dollars. So this is a large sum of money. In fact, knowing now that a talent was really worth about a million dollars, let's read that verse again in context to maybe today's understanding. Verse 15, he gave five million dollars to one, he gave two million dollars to another, and one million dollars to the last. So right here, we learn something at the very beginning of the story. Jesus wants us to learn that this, when it comes to this master, this man that he's talking about, he gives generously. This is something Jesus wants us to understand in the context of this story. Because let's be honest, Jesus could have chosen any monetary amount to make his point. He could have chosen, you know, five bucks, ten bucks, but he chooses a million dollars, five million dollars, because he wants everyone to understand it's more than just what he gave, it's how much he gave. 
The master gives generously. Then the rest of the verse, it says that to each he was given according to his ability. So one got five, one got two, one got one. The master realizes that each servant can only handle a certain amount. That this one, he, he can really handle five. This one can probably only handle two. So what we realize here is that the master doesn't just give generously, but he gives wisely. We're learning here that the master is giving wisely. That he understands, hey, this is, this is a healthy amount for you. This is a good amount for you. And, and he sees the difference between the servants. So let's look again and see how these servants do. Verse 16, the servant who received the five bags of silver, he began to invest the money, and he earned five more, doubled his money. Great job. What a, what a great response. The second servant, verse 17, the servant with two bags of silver, he also went to work, and he earned two more. Same result. Excellent. But the servant who um, received one bag of silver, he chose to dig a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, we've just completed a Dave Ramsey class here at um, Connect. It's called Financial Peace. Many families, I think like about 25 families from Connect, went through this class. It's a great class that helps teach from a biblical perspective how to eliminate debt. And then once your finances are kind of in a good place, how to invest it wisely. And I think it's week seven that Dave Ramsey tackles that, that important topic of what kind of shovel you should use when you're digging a hole to bury your money in the ground. There's some very wise financial counseling there that he teaches. You know, how deep should the hole be? You know, where should I bury my money? You know, because that's, that's obviously, that's a terrible idea. We have some bank managers here this morning. We have some people in investment. And every one of them would tell you, never put your money in the hole in the ground. Don't put it in the mattress. You know, there's much safer and wiser places to invest your money. And yet, that's what this guy chose to do. So then the master returns, doesn't he? And the master comes back and he sits down and that day of, of reckoning has finally arrived and he gets to speak to each one of the servants to find out how they did. And, and the first one, he speaks to him and he finds out that he'd given him five and he'd, he'd um, turn that into another five. The master responded, he was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The second was given two, wasn't he? And when the master asked him for an update, he replied, I've, I've got another two. Now, interestingly enough, although this was three less than the first guy had got, the master still gave him the exact response. Verse 23, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. So it seems here, as Jesus is telling this story, that it wasn't the amount they made, as one clearly made more than another. It seems to me that what pleased the master was the fact that they'd taken what they'd been given, they'd taken what they'd been given generously, what they'd been given wisely, and they did something with it. I think that's what pleased the master, because one only got two, one got five, but the master seemed to be equally pleased with both of them. So it's not how much they did, it's just the fact that they did something. And I think it's easy to believe this because let's take a look at how he responds when he sits down with the third servant. The third guy tries to explain his actions away by blaming the master himself. He says, the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, 
harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Now, I can remember as a kid, and this is crazy. Maybe this happens to you when you, you read these parables. So for me, I can remember as a, um, a, a kid, maybe I was six, seven, eight years old, something like that, going to this, this class on Sunday afternoons, and they would teach us different Bible stories. And very often, they would teach us the parables. I can remember hearing this story. I think there's probably some flannel graph figures, maybe an overhead projector, some kind of cartoon characters. But I remember hearing this story, and I remember hearing the third guy who buried the money, and then when the master came back, he said, hey, um, good news, I didn't lose it. Bad news is it's just this. I remember thinking, that's not a bad idea. It could be worse. He could have lost it. But the master seems to be so angry with him. And I couldn't understand that as a kid. So I was like, well, at least he didn't lose it. But as we learn from the response of the master, I think the third servant missed the point. You see, as well as giving wisely and generously, I think that the master gives purposefully. There is a purpose in what he's given to these people. It wasn't just wise, it wasn't just generous. There was a plan. When, the, when he gave them this money, there was an expectation that they were to do something with it, anything with it, anything that is except bury it in the ground. There was an expectation that something had to do, because listen to how he responds to the third servant. He says in verse 26, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant. This is like a complete opposite response to the first guy, isn't it? The first guy, well done, good and faithful. You, wicked and lazy. It's like you've done the complete opposite of what the other guys did. In fact, he even challenges the guy's excuse. The guy said, well, master, it's, it's not my fault. I thought you were kind of harsh. I thought you were mean, so that's why I did this. And he says, listen, if that was true, then verse 27, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some, some interest on it. If that was really the reason that you did nothing, you could have at least put it in the bank. When I'm teaching on subjects like this, I'm always trying to think of a, an illustration to kind of um, hammer home the points. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the, the master talking to the servant, the servant using this excuse that really wasn't the truth. It was just that he was too lazy to do anything with it. And I thought, you know, it'd be great if I could tell a personal anecdote or a story, something that's happened in my life that would kind of illustrate this. So um, I sat down with Casey, my wife, and I said, hey, I've got this point I'm trying to make, you know, about the third servant. And, and can you think of any time at all where maybe I've, I've come to you and you've, you've asked me to do something, maybe it was vacuum or something like that. You've asked, you know, me to help. And, uh, and then later on, you've come back to see how I got on and I didn't do it. And uh, maybe I said, you know, oh, well, the reason I didn't do it is because I couldn't really understand which button to push and I wasn't really sure how the vacuum worked. I wasn't really sure which one was the vacuum, you know. And I said, can you think of an example like that? And she goes, uh, yeah, like everything. <laughs> All the stuff I asked you to do. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So if you need a modern day illustration, just look at me right now. Uh, imagine every job I've ever been asked to do. Casey's like, yeah, that's you. And she called me out on it right there. So there's my illustration. It's Dave Jane. So. <laughs> and that's what happens. The master calls out the servant, just like Casey called out me. He said, listen, this has nothing to do with me. It's not the vacuum's fault. <laughs> no, the reason that you didn't see any growth is because you just didn't do anything. This wasn't my fault. This was you just not doing what was expected of you. So don't blame me. 
The story says he was thrown out to a place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. So maybe you've heard that story this morning. Maybe you're familiar with this parable. Maybe you know the story of the, the three servants. Maybe you knew it as the parable of the talents. And maybe at this point in the message, when you've heard this story before, you've even heard the application. You could actually tell me right now, Dave, I'll tell you exactly what that means. I know what that parable means because I remember another guy preached once and he told us what the parable means. Maybe you know this, that the master is God, that we are the servants, that God has given us, all of us, whether we are followers of Jesus or not. This isn't something you get when you step into a relationship with God. This is something that we were born with. God has given every one of us gifts and abilities and time and talents and treasure. And we have all these resources that God has given us. And we get to choose what we're going to do with those resources. That he's given all of this and he expects us to do the right thing. That God's coming back. One day he'll judge us based on the stuff we've done. We should be like servants A and B and do stuff for God and not be like lazy servant C. Okay? You're dismissed. Have a great day. That's it. We've heard that before, haven't we? We've heard the story, and as we've heard the application, we're like, yeah, I've heard that. But you know what? As I've been studying this parable to teach, I got to kind of glimpse a little bit further into the window, and I start to see some more here than I'd ever seen before. I want to share that with you this morning as we close out, because that's the genius of Jesus. The genius of Jesus is these stories. They, they are so many layers to them, and, and a story that we may have heard as a child can have a very different meaning among us now that we're adults. Because the truth is, if we only talk about the actions of the master in this story, what we end up doing is creating this sense of obligation on our part. God has done X for you, so you should do Y for him while you still can. But what if this parable was more than just that? What if it was more than an obligation thing? What if it was more than just a, a contract thing where God expects this of us, so we better do it just to make sure we don't end up like servant C? You see, think about this. The mistake servant number three made wasn't in what he did or didn't do. It's in what he believed. Have you ever thought about that before? It wasn't that he buried the money. It wasn't that he did the right thing or didn't do the right thing. It was that he stood with the master and said, well, I thought you were this. And the master says, no. If that really was who I was, then put the money in the bank. It wasn't in what the servant did or didn't do. It was in the servant's understanding of who the master was and what his purpose was. Servants A and B, they got it. They knew exactly who the master was. They knew exactly what his purpose was. They knew what to do because they knew the master. I wonder how well you know the master this morning. And I wonder how your relationship with the master is influencing what you're doing. Because you know who he is, you know his heart, it impacts what you do. What if instead of looking at this parable as an example of what God does and what we should do in response, what if we were to look at it and, and look to see if it shows us what God is like? And knowing what God is like, what we would do to respond to that. So instead of the idea that he gives generously, he gives wisely, he gives purposely, which are all true, what if we just changed it a little bit and we said this, God is generous. God is wise. God is purposeful. 
What if that's what Jesus wanted the people to understand, the disciples? What if that's what Jesus wants us to understand today? Is that the master, when it comes to the master, it's a, it's a window into who God is. God is a generous God. He's given us so much in our lives. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, especially in our um, very consumer culture, we can always be looking up at the next person, can't we? I wish I had three garages. They've only got, I've only got two I wish I had their car. I wish I had that. And we're always kind of looking up at the people who have got a little bit more than us and never quite satisfied with where we are. But, but sometimes we should look and say, wow, God, how generous you are. I've got so much in my life, so much I can be thankful for. And God, you're wise. You know, it would be easy for me to look at this person over here and compare myself and say, well, they've got this and I haven't, or I've got this and they haven't, and, and we can kind of compare ourselves. But maybe God, in his wisdom, knew what we could handle. Maybe God, in his wisdom, knew that, you know, singing wasn't something you were ever going to be good at. So you could look at the girl on the stage and think, man, I wish I had her voice. But I wonder if she's looking thinking, I wish I had his um, ability to relate to other people. I wish I had his ability to speak to others. I wish I could speak like that guy. And, and God's wise. He's given different gifts in different proportions. And God doesn't compare us. God was just as excited with the guy who raised five as the guy who raised two. Because God is a wise God. And he's given you what he knows you can handle. And do you know what? God is purposeful. God is purposeful. There is nothing in our lives, nothing in our lives that, that we look at that comes from God that isn't there by accident. Sorry, that is there by accident. Nothing in our lives is there by accident. God has a purpose for everything. And I say, even this, this is a really practical thing. Yes, God is a purposeful God. That practical thing, that, that thing you're just kind of good at, that other people aren't as good at, what if that's something that God put in you because it's a talent, it's something he wants you to use for him? Maybe you've never thought about that before. And this is where this story takes on a whole new meaning to me. Because instead of doing this out of obligation, God's given me this, so I'd better do something with it. Because I understand who the master is, because I love him so much, the more I get to know God, and this is the genius of Jesus, because as he told these parables, they were, they were like opening windows so that we could see more and more of who God is. And as we read these stories, and we, as we look at Jesus himself, because Jesus was like a mirror as well, or sorry, a window as well, showing us who God is. As we look at Jesus, as we study his life, as we study his teachings, we start to get this insight into who God is. And the more we understand God, the more that motivates us to want to do things for him. It's not out of duty. It's not out of feeling a sense of guilt. It's because, wow, he is so generous. He's given me so much. Why would I want to hold on to this? There's a show that used to be on. I know all of you have probably seen it or remember it. Extreme Makeover, Extreme Home Makeover, I think it was called. Do you remember that? And uh, basically for an hour every week, you tune in. And uh, really, we just watch a show about a guy building a house. Okay, it was just somebody who was either building a house or renovating a house. Most of the time, they knocked the whole thing down and rebuilt from the ground up. Sometimes they, they tweaked a, an existing house. But, um, but basically, millions of people tuned in every week to watch this show, didn't they? Maybe many of you did to watch this extreme home makeover. Do you know what? Where I live, um, from my bedroom, I can look out, and there's loads of houses being built. And it's not that interesting. <laughs> 
I've stood there sometimes looking at the, the work going on, and it's just, it's just houses being built. <laughs> Nothing too exciting. So why was it that we used to gather around our TV sets with such excitement and such um, anticipation as we watched this house being built? We can watch houses being built anywhere. I'll tell you why. Because every week at the beginning of the show, before they even swung a hammer, who did you get to meet? The family. You got to meet the family whose home they were renovating, the family whose home they were rebuilding. You got to hear their story. Sometimes it was a family who'd, who'd maybe hit some hard times. Maybe it was a family who, who were just doing something incredibly generous. They, they were raising foster children, and they just didn't have the room to do it. Maybe it was a family where there was a huge change of life situation and our family member was in a wheelchair and the whole home needed to be kind of renovated to to fit that person. But suddenly you just fell in love with this family. And you realized, wow, it's not about the building of the house. It's the building of their house. And when that bus moved away, you got to see their house and you got to see their response and, and you were involved. You were excited because you were part of their story. That's why we watched that show, and that's why looking out of my bedroom window has no real excitement watching homes being built. I think that's how it is as we start to look through the window to try and learn more about God. When we start to learn more about God, I think there are many of you here this morning. Chris just told a great story about some who showed up yesterday to serve at a a funeral meal. For a teacher at this school who has no real relationship with Connect other than she teaches at the school that we meet at every Sunday. And we, when we heard that her husband had passed away suddenly because of our connection with this school, because we feel this kind of connection with Washington Middle School, we, we meet here every week, we hurt when people in this school hurt. So we reached out and we said, hey, we'd love to, to provide an opportunity here to, to do a meal for, for you and your friends and just help you during this time of grief and... And we had some great people step up and volunteer and some great people serve the meal. But I don't think they did it out of a sense of obligation. I think they did it because they understand that God is generous. God is wise. God is purposeful. He's given us these gifts. And he wants us to use them for him. We want to be like servant A and we want to be like servant B. But this morning, can I challenge you as you leave? I think if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, then every one of us would say, yeah, I'd I'd like to be like servant A and B. But I want to ask the question, why? Because that's the right thing to do or because you understand who the master is? You get it. You, you, You understand. You're learning more and more every day about who God is. And when you do, it inspires you to want to share his love to share your talents, to share your time, to share your treasure so that others can meet the master too. Let's pray. Jesus, you were genius the way you told these stories. Because 2,000 years later, thousands of miles from that mountainside where you sat with 12 disciples and shared this story, we're still remembering the story you told. Some of us have heard this story told a dozen times. And yet still this morning, it's like a window that maybe we've seen something of God that we hadn't seen in that story before. And that's the genius of Jesus that still you can teach us today. Help us to learn more about you. 
to learn more about God. And as we see more of who you are, it will inspire us to live differently. That when we give up our time, when we give up our treasure, when we give up our talents, it's never, ever out of any sense of obligation, but it's because we truly understand who the master is. We truly understand just how generous and wise and purposeful you are, and it inspires us to want to do these things for you. Help us do that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.